Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Great to see you here tonight. That might not look like Romans 11 to you, but it is. There are two little boys in my audience tonight over in Georgia. They've learned a lot from this class. They're in elementary school and they learned not to run in the hall. I was proud of that. I met them. This is the last really difficult chapter. I'm not sure we'll finish. But if we don't, we'll do it next week because we have to do all of it. A little background material here. We can hardly imagine what life was like in Paul's day. The New Testament was being written. Book of James. First and Second Thessalonians, First and Second Corinthians, and Galatians. They were letters to Christians. They were not what you could call theological books. That type of book had not been written. So Paul wrote it. Men in the church had various gifts. They could prophesy, that is, they could speak God's word because he revealed it to them. Had men in congregations that could discern spiritual gifts and could know if the false prophet came in and started talking. He's not telling the truth. God would reveal that to them. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13.10, We know in part, prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part shall be done away. The word perfect means complete. And most people are ready to quickly say that's the return of Christ. So we still have those spiritual gifts today. That cannot be. The word perfect there is in neuter gender, not masculine. When the perfect thing has come, that which is in part shall be done away. When the whole revelation has come, that which is in part shall be done away. But there were some real problems. The Jew-Gentile relationship was extremely difficult. The Jews were God's chosen people. But chosen for what? The answer usually is, well, they were chosen to go to heaven. The Gentiles were chosen to go to hell. That's far from the truth. The Jews were chosen to bring the seed promised to woman into the world. That's what he established that nation for. That's what he told Abraham to do. In your seed, that word is singular, Shall all nations of the earth be blessed. 
Abraham passed it on to Isaac. Isaac passed it on to Jacob. Jacob to Judah. Kept right on down through David. Right on down through Mary. And into the little town of Bethlehem. Jew and Gentile were separate for a while, 1,500 years. And now comes the time when that is about to be over. Jew and Gentile are supposed to get together quickly in the church. Excuse my grammar, that ain't going to happen. Great difficulties, and we overlook it sometimes as we study. And God seldom moved in in the book of Acts to solve a problem. He let them solve their problems. And sometimes it took them a while to get it right. I remember that God made an exception to that moving in with Cornelius. Because he called for Peter and asked him through others to go down to Caesarea and preach the gospel to Cornelius. That was an unusual case because a few years after that, Paul was in Antioch. Peter came to Antioch. That's 300 miles north of Jerusalem. Those men had come down from Jerusalem. You might say, no, they went up. They, they, uh, came up from Jerusalem. No. Only way you went up from Jerusalem is heaven. Any other way was down. They came down to Antioch. Things were going well, but others came. And Peter, who was associating with Gentiles at the table, withdrew himself when the other Jewish brethren came. And would not eat at the same table with them. And Paul said, I withstood him to the face. Galatians 2.11, because he was to be blamed. He said, Peter, you're not acting right. And he was not acting right. Then there, there was the conference at Jerusalem. There was a big problem in Antioch about whether or not men had to be circumcised to be Christians. And Paul was just, he was very, very stressed out about this. Went to Antioch, had a conference, and uh, made some decisions there with the elders and leaders of the church. Now, God had assigned Paul to do certain things. In Acts 9, verse 15, Ananias didn't want to go to, to see Paul, who was then Saul. And the Lord said, Go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine, to bear in my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. God had prepared Saul, Paul, for that purpose. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And he was raised in the city of Cilicia, where all of its citizens were Roman citizens. It's unusual. The Jews in Cilicia were Roman citizens. That made a lot of difference. I know in Acts 22, you're familiar with this. The Jews hated Paul, generally speaking. <clears throat> they arrested him. And then in verse 24 of 22, the commander 
ordered him to be brought to the barracks. I wish commander had not been translated that way. The word is kiliarch. And even though you might not know what that means, you can figure it out because ark means ruler and kili means a thousand. He was over 1,000 men. That is, he was over 10 centurions. This commander was a big shot. And he ordered Paul to be brought and flogged so they could get the truth out of him. And Paul asked the question, is it lawful to scourge a man who's a Roman and uncondemned? He said, oh, uh, are you a Roman? Yeah, I'm a Roman citizen. I am too. I bought my citizenship with money. Paul said I was freeborn. What a man he was. What God did for him. How great it was. The commander, the Keliarch, had a great respect for Paul when he learned that. Before that time, after he was converted, Acts chapter 9, verse 25, the disciples took him by night because he was about to be killed. Or he was threatened, his life was threatened. Let him down through the wall in a large basket. Verse 26 says of Acts 9, when Saul had come to Jerusalem, it seems that they let him down in a basket and he immediately went to Jerusalem. Not so. And I have the scriptures there for you to look up if you want to. Galatians 1.15 says, <clears throat> he said in verse 16, He revealed his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. So between verse 25, verse 26, he goes and spends about three years in Arabia. Second Corinthians 12, verse 1, beginning, he starts talking about a man in the body, whether out of the body I cannot tell God knows, such a one is caught up to the third heaven and heard things that were unlawful for men to utter. Paul is talking about himself. That's the experience he had while he was in the Arabian desert. He was caught up to be with Jesus and to be taught. How amazing. Paul began to preach things he had vehemently denied. He began to preach that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He killed Stephen, or had a part in it, when Stephen taught that. He killed others because they believed that, and now he taught it. Now he's on his third missionary journey, A.D. 57 or 58. Stops at Corinth and writes a letter. He writes a letter, a theological letter to the church at Rome what I started to get into a while ago. The first eight chapters, he shows a man cannot save himself, cannot be saved by the law, cannot be good enough to be saved. The next three chapters, 9, 10, and 11, deal with God's sovereign power. I'm the potter, you're the clay. And the next five chapters after tonight will be instructions on how to properly conduct oneself as a Christian. So there's your background now. Romans 11, verse 1. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. Meganelto. I hate to keep saying that because you don't speak Greek. I don't do it very well, but Meganelto is a strong negative. No, this cannot be born. That idea cannot be born. Cannot come into existence. God has not cast away his people. Why? I'm an Israelite, seed of Abraham, the tribe of Benjamin, 
He didn't cast me away. He took me in. Last Wednesday night, Tom Collier taught this class. Heard some good things about that, Tom. Thank you. But I want to read three verses from chapter 10, not to reteach anything he taught, but just to bring us into the lesson here. Verse 19, but I say, did not Israel know? For Moses said, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Abraham is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to disobedient and contrary people. Did God reject his people? No. He's doing exactly what he said he was going to do. He's not breaking any promises. He's doing. He said, I will provoke you to jealousy. By those who are not a nation. By the Gentiles. Oh, the Jews hated Gentiles. They hated Gentiles. Only people they hated worse were the Samaritans. That's because the Samaritans were a mixture of Jew and Gentile. Couldn't take it. God does not make mistakes. My friend never has. I was listening to a preacher the other night. He is a scholar. He would not fit in here theologically. But he is quite a genius. And he shocked me out of my mind. Because he said... Jesus Christ came to establish a kingdom. And that's right, of course. And he tried and he tried and he tried and he thought all the way to the cross he was going to do it. But on the cross he decided it wasn't going to happen. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He gave up. Did not establish his church. What a dummy. Jesus came to go to the cross. That was his intent. He taught his disciples he would be crucified. And on the cross, he was looking for God to deliver him so he could establish a kingdom. That's what the guy said. And then he gave up. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You just threw our plans away. But he's going to come back and do it again. No, he might have to throw them away again. Russia might rebel. China might rebel. That little handful of Jews rebelled and stopped him according to their theology. What could some great nation do? Oh, it won't happen again. No, it didn't happen in the first place either. He came to do what he, he came and did what he was going to do. It's the way it is. That quote incidentally about provoking you to jealousy is found in Deuteronomy 32, 21, if you want to study that. Romans 11, verse 2, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or you do not know what the scripture says of Elijah, 500 years after Moses, how he pleased with God against Israel, saying, Lord, you have killed your prophets, torn down your altars. Alone I am left, and they seek my life. I'm the only one, I'm the only faithful person on planet earth. Way to go, Elijah. You got a problem. 
You were successful on Mount Carmel. You showed who God was. And then when that old woman got after you, you ran like a scalded dog. Everybody had turned against you. Nobody else is faithful to God. Oh, how sad, because God said, Elijah, I have 7,000 people who have not bowed a knee to Baal. I have not cast away my people here in this Christian age, and he will not cast away his people. Verse 5, even so then at this present time, that's AD 58, 1500 years after Moses, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. And if by grace it's no longer works, otherwise grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise work is no longer work. This, this is, this is funny. It's funny to me. Because he keeps on dealing with grace, faith, and works. He has to do that because those Jewish people he's writing to trusted in salvation by works. They trusted in obeying the law. They trusted in being in God's service in the law, and he would save them for their goodness. And Paul kept saying, that is not the case. And I want to say something I've said two or three times in this class. I don't think I'm wasting time because I want to make sure I say it right and get it understood. Several years ago, we had a brother that said, we contribute not one whit to our salvation. And I told you, I believe he was correct. Caused a big problem in the church. Split the church. I believe he was correct. If you define it, as he defined it. I heard one of our preachers preaching recently, and he is a good man. He's a friend of you and yours and mine. I know him well. You know him well. It was not Glenn, by the way. And he said the statement, we do not contribute one whit to our salvation, is not correct. Well, from his vantage point, it's not. Because he's defining work in a different way. I define work as merit. And he is defining work as reaching for for the opportunity God gave him to be saved, accepting. He's calling that work. I don't define that as work. Back in the 18th century, there was a man by the name of Augustus Toplady. You don't have to say anything, but do any of you, have you, any of you ever heard of Augustus Toplady? Just raise your hand. Well, Keith Anderson has. I don't know where he is, but he could do it. Augustus Toplady wrote a song, and uh, the song is Rock of Ages. I want to read that in just a minute, but I, I want to deal with Augustus Toplady. He was a good man. In so many ways. He wanted to serve God. This was before the restoration movement. He joined himself with the Calvinist people. He got into a fight with John Wesley who was Methodist. And certainly not Calvinist. And he got caught 
walking over in England, going to some great event in a rainstorm. He called it a cloudburst. And he found a big rock hanging over, split and hanging over. He could get under away from the rain and wind and storm and so forth. He got under there and he wrote a song. Incidentally, he wanted to uh, meet with John Wesley and with, uh, yes, he wanted to meet with John Wesley because he describes John Wesley. And John Wesley uh, said, I do not fight with chimney sweepers. He is too dirty a rider for me to meddle with. I like that. That's just, that's pretty plain, isn't it? That's pretty plain. Of course, you might not know what a chimney sweeper is, but uh, use your imagination. We don't have any here. I guess we do in some fashion, but they, they still have them all over Europe, by the way. Now, I, I want you to listen to what Top Lady wrote. This does not sound Calvinistic. Not the labor of my hands could feel, fulfill the law's demand. I believe that. I believe it's true. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. I believe that. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked came to thee for dress. Helpless looked to thee for grace. Vile I to thy fountain fly. Wash me Savior or I die. I like that song. I believe the sentiments of it. But I do have a question for this man who's been dead many years. Notice what he did. Top lady is saying, he clings to the cross. Is that a work? When you cling to the cross, is that a work? He came, he was naked and came to be dressed. He did something. He came to be dressed. He looked for grace. He flew to the fountain. That sounds like a lot of energy to me. All I can know is this top lady guy was was not the kind of Calvinist I know because he had works involved all over that. Now, they were not works of merit. They were works of acceptance. And I believe we have those kind of works. A Calvinist will accuse me of putting a river between the Savior and a sinner. The river I call baptism. But I accuse him of putting a wall between the Savior and the sinner, the wall I call repentance. Are you rather wade a river or scale a wall? As a matter of fact, we don't wade the river. We just walk out there and somebody puts us under. But a person who repents, he climbs the wall. And that takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of work. And of course, repentance is not merit. Baptism is not merit. Confession is not merit. Christian living is not merit. We don't merit anything. But we do those things. We have to. In order to find salvation. What then? Verse 7. Israel has not obtained what it seeks. But the elect have attained it. Well, Israel's not of the elect. Well, we'll get to that in just a minute. The rest were blinded. Just as it is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear to this very day, 
Hmm, God stopped them from doing this against their will, and uh, they were so stupid they couldn't they couldn't get it. No, no, no. We hear people say, "God made me this way, and I just got to have that drink." You know, God made made me like that. I my mother and daddy were alcoholics, and I got it in my blood, and I came out of the womb wanting a drink. God made me that way. You better deal with it. In Isaiah 53, who has believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? I'm going to read two sentences. And I want you to choose from these sentences. Which is right? But first, you know, it says, Who believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Is this his prophecy of Christ? Point number one, if you're not one of the elect, you cannot believe that report of the Christ. If you're not one of the elect, it's impossible for you to believe that report of Christ. Does that stand or, if you don't believe that report of Christ, you're not elected. And you won't be until you believe it. I think that was correct. I had a friend in Vidalia, Georgia. He was a good man. He was a car salesman, a used car salesman, and he was honest. He would give me money to put in the church treasury. I'd say, Harold, come worship with us. Won't do me any good. I'm not of the elect. I can't be, I'm lost. I'm going to hell. But that money's not mine. It belongs to God's. So take it and put it in the church treasury. And I did. That's the first man I'd ever met who says, I can't be saved. On the other hand, there was a woman that came to the United States several years ago. Her name was Svetlana. And when I tell you her last name, you'll know who she is, Svetlana Stalin. Svetlana came over here and said, Christianity is wonderful. I've always thought there was something good here. And of course, our good friend, Let's say Bradley Jr. says, that proves she's an elect of God. She's always been elect of God. God elected her before she was born. She's going to heaven whether she wants to or not. How crazy are we? God made us who we are. Put our parents in the nation and culture that he selected. We must seek Him and seek to know His will for us. God has not blessed Israel as He promised, they claim. But look what God promised. Have they seen what God promised? Isaiah 29.10, He says to Israel, For the Lord has poured out on you the spirit of a deep sleep, has closed your eyes, namely, the prophets, and has covered your head, namely the seers. You're being led astray by your own people. I made you, put you in that environment. But they could get out of it if they wanted to. Deuteronomy 29, verse 2, beginning. Moses called all Israel and said to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt. I want to stop right here and say this. How in the world 
Could these people cross the Red Sea, the water roll back, and in a few days, they're complaining and cursing God because he brought them over there to starve. Your eyes in, in the hand of Egypt, uh, before your eyes in the hand of Egypt, to Pharaoh, to all his servants, to all the land, the great trials which were, which your eyes have seen, the signs of great wonders. Yet the Lord has not given you a heart to perceive and eyes to see and to hear, ears to hear to this very day. You are expecting something you won't get, Moses says. God does not force us to follow him. God's not going to give you miraculous eyes and ears. Not going to force you to see and understand. If you can't see it from the evidence here, then that's bad. If you can't see it by crossing the Red Sea on dry land and watching Pharaoh's army destroyed behind you, what's it going to take? I'm going to invent a teenager called Gershom. Gershom has fallen for Talia, Canaanite teenage girl who works as priestess in the groves where men come to worship. And Gershom goes to his father who had always taught him not to go to their Sunday school. Dad, I sure would like to attend Baal Sunday school. I know Yahweh's the true God, but he made me as I am. And I like to see the priestess's work. And that contrived illustration there, you can't understand it. I'm not going to explain it. He preferred grove prostitutes over worship conducted by God's priests and blamed his desire for them on God. Some people prefer to go fishing, sleep, hunt, Goff and so forth instead of worshiping. That's God's fault. Because we have a work week set up five days and I have to spend time with my family. And Sunday's the only day I really have time to spend with my family. So we're going to take off from worship at least during the summer and the fall. Because God made me that way to love my family. Aren't you glad I love my family? Well, I wish you loved God. God's not forcing that. And I know some men and women here who don't do that. They never use that excuse. Verse 9. David says, let their table become a snare and a trap. A stumbling block. And a recompense for them, let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow down their back always. And that's repeated, uh, that's first written in Psalm 69, verse 22, beginning. Their table may be physical or spiritual, I don't know. But it provides for them, providing something for them. And their table has become a snare and a trap. It may be that they have been served the law of Moses and they are very happy with it and they love it. That's, that's what they have. They have some of Christ and some of Moses and, uh, this is trapping them because we certainly don't need 
Moses' servings. Not only do we not need them, it will condemn us. Let the very blessing they have be a curse to them. Their enjoyments do nothing but sting them. Take advantage of them. There's a word in here I want to look at. Stumbling block. Let their table become a snare and a trap. A stumbling block and recompense to them. The basic definition of a stumbling block is a deadfall. D-E-A-D-F-A-L-L. We don't use those today, but my dad, you told me about them years ago up in Tennessee. He would make deadfalls. He did that by lifting a heavy stone and putting a prop under it that somehow had an easy trigger. I'm not sure how. Putting some bait in it, and then when a an animal came in to eat the bait, he would rub against that stick, and it would fall on him. And he'd go on my granddaddy's table. Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, a recompense to them. Moses' law looked very attractive, but it was a deadfall. And those who didn't run from it were killed by it. Verse 11. But I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. Meg and Oto. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And if their fall is riches for the world, and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? I like that. We have an unusual case here. The Jews reached out to Christ after a fashion. They started on Pentecost doing that. And the church grew. 3,000 on Pentecost, 5,000 later. They were reaching out. But there were no Gentiles. Uh, proselytes, yes, but they were part of the Jewish religion. No Gentiles. And that's when somebody knocked on Peter's door and said, Our master, Cornelius, wants you to come and meet with him. Cornelius was a devout man. Gave much alms to the people. Prayed to God always. And you know the story. You know what happened. Peter was wise enough to take Jewish men with him as witnesses. They went down and preached and baptized Cornelius in the Christ. How wonderful it was. 13. For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them, for if their being cast away is the reconciler of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Are you aware of the fact that if something not happened, that there would have been no Gentiles in the church because the Jews wouldn't let them in? In order to become a Christian, at first, you had to be a Jew. Does that sound strange? It's the truth. 
Have you ever looked at it like this? Antioch, 300 miles north of Jerusalem. That's not far in my old car from here to Mobile. But if I had to walk, if I had to ride Festus' donkey, Ruth, it'd be a long, long way. Well, what about it? A church was established in Antioch. Acts 13, verse 46, Paul and Barnabas in Antioch of Pisidia, different Antioch, turned away from the Jews and turned to the Gentiles. And then at the end of that trip, they went to Antioch of Syria and gave a report to a Gentile church. After that, there were some men that came to Jerusalem. We touched on this a while ago. And began to teach, unless you are circumcised, according to the law of Moses, you cannot be saved. We put that in big cold language. Unless you become a Jew, you can't become a Christian. Ouch. No Gentiles in this church. Now you might just be a half Jew, but you're going to become a Jew. We will not tolerate you. Somebody asked me one time, why did Cornelius not go to Jerusalem? And, uh, talk to some Christians there. He'd have gotten booted out. They weren't interested in him. He was a Gentile. He wouldn't play their game. They knew he wouldn't play their game. Have to come to Christ through Moses. This is a big deal. This upset the whole first century. And I've often wondered as a lad Why on the day of Pentecost did Peter not say, okay, you who want to be Christians now, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. No, no. It was several years before God decided it was time to call his people Christians. What happened? Here are the Jews, here are the Gentiles, they're Christians. Jews were not a Christian church. Gentiles had to be added. Ouch. I don't like Gentiles. Well, I do. I'm a Gentile. Talking for the Jews. They're not a chosen people. We're a chosen people. Acts 15, 14. Simon has declared how God at the first, this is in the conference at Jerusalem, visited the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Back in Isaiah 62.2, the prophecy of the Gentiles to see thy righteousness and all the kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord shall name. 
The Jews would be called by a new name. The Gentiles saw their righteousness, and they together would be called by a new name. Ephesians 3.8, To me, who am the least of all saints, this grace was given that I might preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I love King Agrippa here in Acts 26, verse 23 beginning. Paul preaches to him that Christ would suffer. He would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and the Gentiles. You know what Agrippa said? Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning has made you mad. What's wrong with Paul? Because Christ rose from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish nation and to the Gentiles. No, no, he can't proclaim light to the Gentiles. They're lost. They're hell bound. Paul, you're you're beside yourself. You ought to be more dedicated than that. Isn't it amazing? Have you ever seen that before? Isn't it amazing how mixed up these people were? Paul gets to Rome, Acts 28. They rejected, those people that met him, rejected Christ. Let it be known to you that salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles and they will hear it. So he kind of rubs it in a little bit. I'm going to stop there. I heard the bell ring a while ago. Those people that work back there at that audio desk don't have any use for me. Set me down as soon as they can. So but I'll forgive them for it. Uh, we'll start there next week and uh, finish that and go right on into chapter 12. You've been a good class. Thank you very much. Let us bow together. Father, thank you for blessing us and caring for us. Thank you for keeping us in your service. Protect us from Satan's fiery darts. Help us to walk in the light. Help us to understand that all your people are our brothers and sisters and those outside of Christ, no matter what nation, what culture, they're potentially children of yours. Help us to help bring them to Christ. These things we pray through Jesus Christ. Amen. Don't run in the hall. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School, West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.